guys five movies this is one of your co-hosts chris gasper this is frank pelicone you are listening to episode 33 of the spin chagrin and the category last week was you want to get nuts let's get nuts frank what did you end up coming up with and involve nuts so there's two movies we're going to talk about tonight and the first one is the what i would consider like the true spin chagrin movie okay um and that is a 2017 horror movie called uh, Psychopaths. Okay. It's a indie film directed by a guy named Mickey Keating, um, who I didn't know um, really before this, but uh, he's done some other like indie horror movies. Um, okay. I don't know. Like I'm looking at the titles. I don't know if I've seen any of them, but it doesn't really matter. Um, so we're going to talk about that film. Uh, because in the truest sense of the term it's about you know insane people which is how i took the nuts thing thinking about the the line out of batman which is where i'm sure this um this came from um and then after that we're gonna do a bonus review of another movie that i watched this weekend that also involves you know somebody being supposedly somebody being nuts so you want to get into it sure um tell me about it trying to figure out if i've seen this guy's movies so but i'm listening so psychopaths is a kind of avant-garde um non-linear horror film um and the basic premise is uh larry uh fessender um one of my one of my favorite like kind of i don't know what you would call them like horror personalities that's kind of really like emerged over the past decade in terms of like being a creative force, both as like a director and a writer and an actor. Right. Um, Is a Manson-esque serial killer um, who's being executed. And during his execution has this really long speech about um, the forces of chaos in the world and how his death is going to basically spread chaos to other people. And he's going almost like a demonic possession thing, like the evil inside him is going to spread to other people and they're going to commit evil. So the movie takes place over the course of the evening of his execution with a series of other killers being infected with like parts of his insanity and committing murders. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the majority of the movie is basically just set pieces around these people killing um, both innocent people and each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and is told in a um, a nonlinear perspective. So you see later parts of the movie, early in the movie, and then it cuts and shows you like how those parts came about. Not really much of a narrative to speak of. Um, the premise is that there was there's this guy who's like a serial strangler who murders um, basically prostitutes. Um, he kills this woman in a gruesome fashion in a hotel room um strangling her to death um then as after she's dead he's interrupted by the hotel's manager who he beats to death with a baseball bat um then he gets in a car and he drives away and he picks up another prostitute on the road but she's also a killer and she's got like a hypodermic needle full of like some kind of like paralyzing poison so she incapacitates him and then you see this guy um this body getting dumped in a ditch and there's this like big like hawking like 
Jason-esque figure um, who's shoveling like dirt on the body and then the body comes back alive and he shoots him and then um, lights his police this police car on fire and then there's this couple who are fighting with each other because the husband's kind of a loser and has lost all this money at like gambling and um, they're interrupted by this knock at the door and he goes to get the door and the door's just open and nobody's there and then all of a sudden there's this woman who's like murdering his wife um, but he doesn't hear it because he went outside to smoke or something um, and you see her in like a vignette like a bit really similar to the vignettes and um, the return the Twin Peaks um, mm-hmm. with the people singing on stage like it's basically the same thing as that okay um, so then he gets stabbed by that crazy woman um and then the strangler he's woken up um being tortured by the pseudo prostitute with the hypodermic needle and then you see the the mask guy he has several masks he's got like a bunny mask and a little kid mask and i can't remember the other clown mask of course duh um and he gets he gets a call from larry fessender and basically is told like i need you to go kill this woman he goes to kill that woman but he's shot and then a police officer shows up and kind of takes custody of him but that guy's crazy and then that turns into the scene that you see in the beginning where he overpowers that guy and lights him on fire um and all the time there's this voiceover narration of this guy talking about the chaos in the world and you know these killers being loose and it tries to be very high-minded but it's just kind of pretentious and silly a lot of the time like it's the, the dialogue's not it's not terrible but it's not super great um and that's pretty much the entire movie it's like an hour and a half long of that okay. but so real quick just in terms of the there's a lot of killing and maiming in this like how is this done like can you equate it to like how how's the violence executed is it like trying to be grotesque is it like you know just brutal is it like i mean a lot of it's done off screen like you okay. don't see a lot of actual like I mean, there's definitely scenes of, you know, um, penetration, like, to put it, I don't know how else to say it, but where, like, knives are going into people and you see, like, blood, like, spurting out. But Mm -hmm. it's not torture porn in the sense where it's not 100%, like, totally gratuitous when it happens. I mean, there's some artistry to it. And I was looking at it and I was thinking, like, this is a dude who's been inspired by, and I started to just kind of write down, like, what I thought his inspirations were. And I didn't read anything about, like, him. But in my notes, um, these are things that I saw that was definitely, like, he was pulling from. There's elements of Tarantino to it. Um, There's elements of Hitchcock. Um, There's stuff that's very much De Palma-esque, especially in terms of, like, lighting and the way that he filmed certain scenes okay um there's a couple of scenes that are very strongly like definitely cronenberg style Mm. um there's a decent amount of stuff that's really similar to argento again especially in terms of like the way that he does color and things like that like you see like a lot of argento to it um there's a little bit of fulci in there too like uh, he has one scene where the hypodermic needle woman is hammering like spikes like long spikes mm-hmm. under the fingernails of the strangler guy okay. um and that's one of the few scenes that's like really like kind of graphically brutal but it's very much akin to the way the fulci films the 
um, jagged wood to the eye of the woman in a zombie um, in the way that he films it where it's like like there's a lot of tension to like her hitting that nail for the first time and then when like it splits his fingernail it's um brief but like you know really powerful like the image um and then obviously there's a lot of like lynchian stuff in it and in particular i feel like this guy is heavily influenced by um lost highway okay i'm in the way he films stuff so on one hand it's a really it's an incredibly compelling movie from a visual standpoint because it's not mimicry it's like homage so it's really interesting to see like a melding of these styles in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. like to see him like he does things with split screen he does things with like almost feel like pt anderson-esque like moving perspective like in the midst of a scene or like tarantino-esque in the way he moves the camera Mm -hmm. and in all of those things it's obvious that he gets it you know that he understands like what he's paying homage to but in doing that he's not actually making a movie he's just kind of making like a long music video Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. violence in it and like uh like a loose like incredibly loose narrative so i was never bored watching it like i didn't find it to be um annoying or uh terrible or off-putting but i also was never interested in watching it though like i just kind of like oh that's cool or oh like i see you know like oh that's like obviously an homage to dead ringers or right oh like here this scene is something out of like um like body heat or blow up or something you know like you can Mm -hmm. just see like very much like specific in in the same way that you see with tarantino when you watch his movies you can pull and say like okay like this is you know he's paying homage to magnificent seven here or like um i actually noticed this when we watched full metal jacket uh this past week um when they're standing over the body of uh the lieutenant and kind of like eulogizing him you know and um Kubrick does the thing where he like slowly moves the camera around from a downward perspective, like looking up at him. Sure. And you know, like you watch that scene in Inglorious Bastards when they've like scalped the one Nazi mm-hmm. and they do the exact same scene with like the upward view of all of them, you know, like kind of saying things and then going back to one person and then coming back again. You know what I mean? Sure. So, yep. Yep. And when Tarantino did it, I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, like, I'm because I don't enjoy Inglorious Bastards, but I thought, oh, like, this is obviously like, some Kubrick shit like, mm-hmm. going on here. Um, yeah. And when I saw it in Full Metal Jacket, I was like, right, like, exactly. This is what he was doing. Right. Um, but whereas Tarantino is actually, even though I don't like it, is like truly building a narrative, you know, mm-hmm. like he's making an actual film. This guy is just kind of like putting together this loose, like, pastiche of just different things and making them like visually compelling enough um you know to keep you watching it right and i'll give you another similar um in terms of like visual flair um the guy that does the the terrifier movies um with the clown you know like 
there's a guy that's very much influenced by like the good horror of the 70s and 80s but does it in a way where he just has his own style and then is making an actual movie like he's telling a story and those terror like the early terrifier movies like especially um all hallows eve or whatever the one that's mm-hmm. the um the short films yeah the anthology mm-hmm. it's the same thing like you get the same feeling like okay like there's some really interesting like ideas here and this guy definitely knows what he's doing from a horror perspective Mm -hmm. but he's not capturing my imagination in terms of the actual film itself like where i really care sure whereas when you watch terrifier like terrifier you know is something that like hits on the cylinders as it's meaning to hit on and actually captures your imagination and kind of draws you into that story um to the point where like i'm really interested to see the follow-up to terrifier and with this movie i don't know like i would watch another one of this guy's movies but i also don't know how much faith i have that he really can pull it together no we were talking offline about rob zombie i feel very similar about rob zombie like he's a guy that every movie you will see something where you think like yeah like this guy really knows what makes horror horror but he never like except in one movie he never pulls it together and it's kind of similar here so right so i i have seen two of this guy's movies i've never seen this one um i've seen i guess this is his first movie called ritual um, yeah what, what what is that because that sounds familiar but i've seen so many movies that have a title like that right it, it's it's um it's like vacancy kind of like um where it's like a couple they um end up like in this like kind of like hotel at one point and like they're trying to like you know get away from these people because they find a video of like a cult sacrifice or something like that and like um so it it draws uh parallel um whatever comparisons the vacancy but um it, it 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 very much like my memory of that so this was during covid at some point like the first year when i watched everything but it's like it was like I wasn't like hating it, but like I wasn't interested in it either. So I don't re- remember a lot about that movie in terms of particulars. Just thinking that it's like, oh, this is like mediocre because the guy at least understands how to film things. But like I'm not that interested in it. Uh, Darling was better, um, which is a 2015 movie he did. But that movie is obviously him being inspired by Polanski um, and like The Tenant and Rosemary's Baby and stuff like that. Um but that's much better, but still very artsy, um, but competently done. So out of the two movies, that's the better one. And if I had to recommend you watch one of them, it would be Darling probably. But um, but yeah, he definitely um, is somebody who I, I can see exactly what you mean about him being like inspired by other people. So what I would say to you as somebody who mostly because of me has watched a lot of horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes not by your own choosing, but a lot of times, you know, because you want it, like, you went through that whole phase where you watched, like, all, whatever, like, so many horror movies. Sure. This is one where you would watch it, and you might not recommend it, but you also wouldn't, like, shit on it. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I can't tell you that it's a terrible movie, and look, there's scenes in this movie that are absolutely phenomenal, mm-hmm. from, like, a filmmaking and the idea of what's happening, but it never pays out it never pays off like there's mm-hmm. it's way too open-ended and 
I wonder too if he was like inspired by stuff like like toolbox murders how toolbox murders is open-ended um there's a movie that I'm going to make you watch at some point called the candy snatchers that has a really open-ended like ending to it and I wonder if it's that you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like these 70s movies where the idea was there's no real explanation for evil it's just something that is and sometimes evil you know evil succeeds or evil wins or whatever right but without like moralizing or explaining and i you know i mean i think that's actually which you came in from the sea is kind of similar to that you know even Mm -hmm. though even though it's giving you like a modicum of an explanation it's not like excusing or whatever it's just like this is why this happened and it was a terrible thing that happened but you don't get any like cosmic reason behind it but you still have to have a story like all three of those movies that i just mentioned there's a story behind them like even Mm -hmm. though toolbox murders is a ridiculous movie it still is telling you a story throughout you know the entirety of that film and in this movie i don't know how to explain it it's like um he's almost like it's almost like shortcuts like altman or something where it's just like interweaving these different like events in these people's lives over the course of this one period of time without really ever giving you a genesis point or an ending for any of their stories you know Mm, yeah um and maybe that's why i hate shortcuts too i guess i don't know but like yeah i it would have been better served if it would have taken one of the characters and made them the main character Mm -hmm. and then had them told their story and then interweave through these lives of people like wild at heart is a good example of something that does that effectively like you're seeing the story of nick cage and laura dern's characters throughout that movie and then you have other like weird characters that kind of move in and out of their orbit and a lot of times there's not a whole explanation for what you're seeing you know you're just kind of like seeing it but it makes it interesting because you're still getting their story the character the lady um the lady with the hypodermic needle i think would have been the one to like focus on and tell her story is that the main character kind of actually bell maybe i don't know Uh, what's her name not that i know any of these people's names they don't have names it's just like escape mental patient no 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 that's another one that's the one that's doing the lynchian singing okay um she's playing uh I don't know what the acceptable term for this is anymore, but she's playing someone with multiple personalities. Um, and it's okay. Um, but you know so little about it that it doesn't matter. Like when she first started doing it, it made me laugh because I was like, what the fuck is this woman doing? Like, this mm-hmm. has never happened before. Um, so yeah. So if they, even her, like if that's your main character, tell that person's story and have her weave through the other people's like evening and maybe you get a better movie out of it because the movie does end with her like Mm -hmm. she's the one that the resolution is and or if the story is that fessender's character is really like infecting these people with some kind of like you know ethereal evil that he's cast out into the universe like make that the story you know what i mean like sure hit each one and tell it like almost like an anthology because each one of them's filmed in a completely different style like the one with the guy in the masks it has really has like more of like a carpenter-esque feel to it you know Mm -hmm. 
the guy the gambler who ends up getting like him and his wife getting killed by um the woman with the multiple personalities it feels lynchian it feels like there's some tarantino there you know like so you could tell each other's stories differently but there's so much like dissonance when he cuts between the different um the different threads of his movie and he like changes styles and um it just it, it 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 doesn't make it hard to watch it just makes it like less interesting than it should have been yeah r- ritual has a lot of lynch elements in it as well um yeah maybe you don't want to start darling's very vignette like short film-esque it's almost like you know there's like um it, it tells a story but there's like it's broken up into chapters and like the middle three chapters are almost like just long scenes as opposed to like necessarily really delving into the story a lot even though it follows the same character so yeah it's all very it's all very it's not even art house it's like uh it's like he doesn't know how to tell a complete like a full narrative or something like that then that's right. what it sounds like or he doesn't care to i mean it might be that and if that's the case i'm not going to say that he's a failure at it because he's right he's genuinely making movies that in this case he's making a movie that um from a visual standpoint is compelling you know mm-hmm. like there's some really good stuff in it and i can't take anything away from the fact that he's got talent you know that he definitely has a feel for what horror should look like i guess mm-hmm. at least in a way that i feel like it makes sense to me um but I don't know. We'll see where he goes. I mean, he's pretty young. He's like mid thirties, so yeah, he's definitely got time to continue to grow. Um, you know, I guess he ages. Oh, he did that movie off season that came out last year. I didn't watch that though. I didn't watch it either. I that was the one that I was like, did I watch that? And then I went and looked at it, and I didn't. So anyway, so from Mr. Grand's standpoint, it's like a five. You know, it's right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Things I like, things I didn't like. Um, not a movie I would recommend, but not a movie I would tell you that you shouldn't watch either. Um, and definitely fit the, uh, sure, you know, fit the characteristic of the, to the letter of what the Spencerian was. Mm-hmm. Sure. So. Yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's what little I've seen. He's an interesting dude, and it feels like it's probably a guy that somehow will come back at some point somewhere someday that we'll be talking about um i um as we talk about horror so much but <clears throat> again and the guy that we we've talked about in the past and i always want to sing his praises is um larry fessender is a guy who it's like jack jack nicholson in the shining was like pulled from the screen and frozen in time right and that's larry fessender like a hundred percent and he's always invested in what he does i mean he it's really just like maybe six minutes of screen time seven minutes of screen time here and it's a soliloquy more than anything um but it's good and it's it's well done and it's effective and um he's got like this really emotive face that kind of just oozes like craziness and like like manic obsession kind of and that part's really cool like when it started off i was thinking like all right yeah this um this might actually be really good um, it just never kind of lives up to that potential. So, right. 
Tubi describes it as an indie an indie darling like fan favorite. So mm-hmm. I guess maybe that set my expectations a little too high, but um still, like yeah. Right. If you got an hour and a half to kill, and I'm saying this to you specifically, but just our audience in general, you got an hour and a half to kill and you, you know, can kind of just like let your expectations go, then I think maybe like you could enjoy the time spent with this movie. And maybe I missed something. I don't know. Like I was really focused on it, but maybe I didn't take from it what he meant to be taken from it. So maybe I, you know, hearing a different perspective would be, would be good. Yeah. So yeah, psychopaths. Really unfortunate name because it's something where like you would never think to watch it. Of course. I mean, like, hard, yeah, it's I would hard. never, I would never have watched it unless I was trying to like force myself to find something. Um, well, let's just quickly go through the names of his movies: Ritual, Pod, Darling, Carnage Park is probably like the most, the one that stands out the most. Psychopaths, Off Season. It's like none of these are movies that like necessarily from a name standpoint jump out at you. I mean, it's a common problem with horror, but yeah, absolutely here, like it just sounds really dull. Most of them, yeah. So, want to move on to number two? Sure. Uh, I only sound like that because I, I assume I know what it is. Oh, you know what it is. Um, so, number two almost <laughs> was number one, but we talked about it a little too much, and I figured that you can put it in your tags or whatever so mm-hmm. that people might, like, find it if they're looking for it, but I sure. don't have to, like, make it the Spinstagram movie. Right. Because um, I really do like finding movies that are lesser known or, you know, aside from stuff like jungle cruise like things that a lot of people haven't seen um, right which i know doesn't help you out at all when you're trying to like hawk this shit but <laughs> it's more fun for me right um so i also watched uh the black phone this weekend mm-hmm. um and here's some some prehistory of my watching the black phone um i'm a pretty big fan of joe hill um i like joe hill's writing style a lot um, I think that he has, I, I compared Joe Hill to Stephen King. Joe Hill is Stephen King's son and is like a pretty prolific writer in his own right. I compare Joe Hill to Stephen King in the same way I look at like Ramsey Campbell or Algernon Blackwood to H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Like he's a person that's taken the, the fabric of what the guy that came before him created, like, you know, in the sense of them, like cosmic horror. And in the sense of King, just like that general like universe that King has. Right. And has pulled it into like a more more easily digestible and modern writing style. You know? Mm-hmm. Not to say that King is like whatever, like full of like high literary prose or anything. But I think that when you read King, it really does feel like something from the nineteen eighties. You know, like there's a feeling of like even like especially now when you read King stuff, it, it feels kind of antiquated in the way that he writes. And Hill has, in my opinion, like a much fresher voice when he writes his stuff. Um, I think that Hill can say more with less words, whereas King will take way too long to explain something or like set a scene or have some weird, creepy like sex shit for like three pages just to like whatever. Um, Because that's just what you did in like horror writing in the 80s. Sure. So out of Joe Hill's stuff, I've read Horns. Um, heart-shaped box uh, Nosferatu and a collection of short stories called 20th Century Ghosts which is where the story of the Black Phone is from Um, so going into the Black Phone I knew 
what was going to happen you know like i i knew and they don't do anything to hide what's going to happen in the black phone in the previews mm-hmm. i don't think um but like i knew every beat of that story and like what the end was going to be so i was a little i really wanted to see it because it's a it, it's an interesting concept in terms of when hill does it um complete failure in terms of the movie um if you haven't seen the black phone it's free on hulu uh so free no, to stream if you it's, it's not oh peacock peacock right right yeah. free on peacock to stream um or if you guess if you pay the 4.99 a month or whatever peacock is um the thing that makes the story so good is that hill so the premise of the movie is that there's this kid um he's a baseball player but he's not like super popular and he's bullied um but he's friends with this kid who's kind of like the tough guy in school so he has some modicum of protection um his sister has the shine somewhat um and their alcoholic father is like afraid of her having it because this will cause their mother to die um so there's this serial child killer that lives in um shit where are they from it's not chicago Anyway, whatever fucking city their suburb is in. Um, Denver suburb. Denver, right. Colorado, right. It's Denver. So there's this serial child killer in Denver called the Grabber um, who basically abducts children and the children disappear and they never find. There's no trace of it. So, of course, like in the span of a short period of time, like several children get grabbed by the Grabber, including Finney, who's the main character's um, uh like protector um and eventually finney gets abducted and taken by the grabber uh who's played by ethan hawk um finney's sister has this ability to see these things happen through her dreams um although again like the father like wants to beat it out of her and like nobody believes her about it until they just do like out of nowhere like it just like all of a sudden like you know what yeah let's talk about them psychic powers yeah um so the majority or about 50 percent of the 60 percent of the movie takes place in this soundproof basement where the grabber is holding the main character and the dude who plays finney looks like 14 year old um bill maher so when you see that like you can never take him seriously watching the movie because all i'm thinking about is bill maher on politically incorrect the whole time and it just completely like ruined my fucking immersion um, in that film but i mean that's not that kid's fault but it's kind of their fault for casting them so the conceit is that all the other kids that have been murdered can call finney on this you know titular black phone which is this disconnected telephone that's just mounted in the basement which again i didn't think about this reading the short story because the short story is only like maybe like i don't know 20 or 30 pages long i think i don't remember mm-hmm. but it's not like a super long story why does the killer give them like something you know like why give them anything that they can use maybe even if they get lucky because at the end of the movie you know they tell the one ghost tells finney to um take dirt from this hole he was digging and put it in the phone so he can like clock the killer on the face and it's like why would the killer not think about that like hey somebody could hit me with this thing and they might get lucky i mean he's I don't know. That doesn't bother. That doesn't. That doesn't bother. Because he's crazy. 
No, it, it's not even that. It's like, why would you think of? I mean, I don't even think he would think of that. Like, yeah, I but mean, why is it even there? Like, I mean, I guess like it's, it's always uh, been there. He said, like, since he was like a kid or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I like, I, I just don't. I just think it's. I mean, I don't know. Like, so maybe you ex- like maybe I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I. I, I think there's like so many you, things wrong with this movie, Frank. That that's such a minor thing. Well, it bothered me. Uh, okay, that's fine. Um, the first failing of this movie is that there's not enough characterization of Ethan Hawke as the grabber, as the killer. It's basically like zombies Halloween characterization, which is you can tell what mood he's in by what mask he's wearing. Yes, and he's got like an upper portion and a lower portion and. Sometimes it's like kind eyes but angry face, and sometimes it's angry eyes with smiley face, and sometimes it's like eyes but no mouth, and sometimes it's mouth but no eyes. Um, you know, like you're seeing like his actual like human eye parts, but is like anyway. And you're supposed to, I guess, like infer from what he's wearing, like whether he intends to like harm Finney or whatever. And part of the whole thing is that Finney doesn't play his game. Like, he doesn't try and escape. Even though he's trying to escape the whole time, he doesn't try and escape in the one way that the killer sets up for him to try and escape so that he can get mad and kill him. So he's, like, not playing along. Um, He's kind of, like, ruining the killer's fun or whatever. Um, The other thing, too, is that there's a subplot where the killer's brother um, is looking for the killer and doesn't realize that his brother is a killer because he's got the soundproof room in the basement um, and calls the police over to the house while Finney is like held captive there to give him like his theory about like, Oh, they all take place in this one. It's like, um, it's like the Pepe Silva scene in uh, always sunny in Philadelphia with fucking Charlie day. And like the strings like pointing at like, who is Pepe Silva? Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it reminded me of that. And it actually kind of drains like any tension out of the scene because it's just so goofy right and plus the two dudes that play the police detectives look like extras on like friggin nypd blue from you know whatever 1998 um so i don't think there's really any good performances in this uh especially egregious is the actress that plays his the sister yeah um, it's unfortunate don't say that about child actor but it's it, it's it's bad it's real bad yeah, she's very much a like a diaphragm enunciator where like everything is just like all of her all of her lines are just kind of like punched out of her mouth. Mm-hmm. And so it there's no like real emotion behind it. It's just like she's always a 10. And then her interactions with um and I can never remember his name, but the guy that plays Elliot and ET and um whatever, Dewey Crow, right? Isn't he Dewey? No, oh, yeah, Jer- uh, Jeremy Davies. Yeah, Jeremy Davies. Yeah, that's yeah. As the alcoholic yeah. father, um, he just comes off like. The problem is that you need him to be menacing, but you can't make him a villain, because you have to easily redeem him in like one scene towards the end. So if you make him too terrible, that redemption is impossible. But by not like letting him like fully invest in being like an alcoholic and like a lunatic, it just kind of like seems really yeah. watered down. It does. Like the scene and, where and he's it, like, and, and the ending doesn't feel earned because of it, right? There's a scene where he's beating her with a belt because she's told the police about her. She didn't tell the police about her dream. She told 
a girl whose brother got kidnapped by the grabber about her dreams. And then the girl told the police that she knew something. So they called her in. So Jeremy Davies is all mad because the cops showed up at his work to question him about, um, you know, like these dreams that his daughter is having, <clears throat> none of which would probably would have ever happened in real life. Um, although I guess they say that she dreamed about these black balloons and um, it's a whatever a aspect of the case that they've never revealed to anyone, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But that that whole scene where she's like cussing at the police officers yeah. is terrible. The, the 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 belt beating scene is terrible. Like on so many different levels. Like you know, um, yeah, it, it's 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 not a good scene. And she's really poor in them. Yeah. And the other thing, because I had watched this weeks ago, a couple weeks ago or whatever, and I, I threw it on while I was doing work last night, and I just kind of had it on the background, like a low volume. Um, and that scene with the belt beating takes place 20 minutes into the movie, which is, is I think, a large part of my problem is that the most interesting thing about this story to me was what is is, is the horror of being trapped in the basement mm-hmm. as a child by this insane person and the belt beating is 20 minutes into the movie and then it's like another like 10 to 15 i think maybe i think it's like close to 40 before he's kidnapped himself so it's like you spent like almost 40 minutes of this movie like just kind of building stuff up for no tangible reason like it's not adding that much to the story so it was really slow and dull to me in the beginning and then it gets to the horror and then it's like you don't have enough time for the actual horrific things um of being trapped and not being able to get out and trying to figure out how to get out and then you could have developed both of those characters much more if you would have spent more time with it so it's just like conceptually i feel like it just wasn't starting from a great place and yeah. um yeah here's another problem with it too and this is something that's difficult to talk about but inherently when the drama involves harm being committed to children it's a very delicate thing to film that i think and it's it very is. delicate because you don't ever want to make it exploitive and you don't ever want to make it titillating in a way where like it comes off as gross you know but how do you do that like it's really difficult and there's definitely movies where it's done really well and there's definitely movies that go too far with it um there's things like mystic river where i don't think that's a great movie but i think it handles that particularly well Mm -hmm. um so there's just this edge of like you have to build the tangible feeling of danger to the child without being grotesque right mm-hmm. and it to your point like it never hits the fact where it doesn't ever feel like that you know like right he it feels like he has it never feels like he's truly in danger and even at the end when he's confronted and it, you know i've i i know the book or i know the story so i know what was going to happen so whatever like it's already kind of ruined for me so maybe that's one of the reasons why i don't have any dramatic tension to it but at the same time it's like i feel like the way that they've set up all the scenes leading up to the climax you never have any doubt that he's going to be successful you know like you never think that he is going to lose agreed 
so because you take the actual danger out of it it just makes the ethan hawk character kind of silly and that's highlighted by what i call like like the death proof moment in the movie where um the grabber has fallen into this pit that finney has like dug and breaks his ankle on a grate that's underneath it and finney's just like punching him repeatedly in the face and at one point rips off He's wearing like bottom portion like smiley mask and he rips it off and Ethan Hawk goes hee and like yeah. puts his hands in yes. front of his face and it's like it's awful. Yeah. Then just gets the shit like he can't even like defend himself because he's getting the shit kicked out of him. Right. And it's just like none of that stuff is earned. And when he when he emerges from the house, you know, when the police are there and they've just followed his sister there because his sister told him like this is where you need to go because she dreamed it and all of a sudden like just believe her 100 percent. you know when he emerges and he's fine like he doesn't look any worse for the wear he mm-hmm. doesn't look like he's been like trapped in a basement for however long of a time he's been stuck down there with like little food and you know no hygiene or anything it's just i don't know yeah yeah so yes yeah, it's a really disappointing for a movie that i was super excited to see when i first saw a trailer for it um i don't know what they could have done but i think like having him get kidnapped earlier and having more time spent like 80 percent of that movie should take place in the basement with either him either because you don't know like they make it too obvious that the ghosts are real that's one of the things so like you never really have the feeling that maybe he's going crazy or whatever Mm -hmm. because there's also no sense of time really of how long he's been down there so sure. if you would have focused that movie 80 percent of the time in the basement with either finney by himself like talking to himself or with the grabber like menacing him mm-hmm. and then 20 percent of the time with like you know everyone being like so upset about not being able to find him and you know the stuff with the psychic girl or whatever and not put her in the bathtub having a psychic premonition for jesus no- let, let me just quickly say that it's the like I was telling Brandy, I was like, yeah, it's not a great movie, but let me tell you about this. Why the hell for a 10 second scene? Right. Well, I was trying to tell about Ryan about this last night too. I was like for a 10 second scene, like think about like how that has to play out on set. And it's like, look, I understand like this little girl's like in a bikini or whatever, but it's like, why would you ever, ever just, you could do it anywhere. The whole point Dude. of the scene is to have a psychic premonition. Why isn't she sitting there doing her homework? Sure. Same sure. scene. Right. You know, even if it's a thing where you need quiet because, like, her dad's a drunk brute or whatever. There's so many ways you could, like, figure out a quiet, like, kind of serene place or something for her to be. To just have a vision for 10 seconds. You don't have to put this little girl in a damn bathtub. And it was really egregious to me, like, to, like, and, 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 and. eyebrow raising that like somebody would do that in 2021 or whatever this is i just i just don't get it i mean i there are so many there are so many times where it's like it's it's fine like it's completely acceptable to do something like you know like because it's like okay yeah like that's what we came up with and then it's like necessitated for these reasons and stuff like that but this was just, just no point no point and, to have a little girl get down in, right. in her bikini and get in a damn bathtub so you can film a 10 second scene like, in the 1980s 
every horror movie would have a scene with a woman getting in or out of a shower or getting dressed. And the reason for it was because they just wanted to have some reason to show some TNA, right? Sure. So this is, in essence, the same thing, because in those movies, there was never a reason to show the woman like bathing or whatever. It didn't add anything to the movie. It just gave you an excuse to show boobs. And this is the exact same thing. Like, and to your point, like, it's not egregious in the sense that there's no nudity. It doesn't sexualize it necessarily, but it also doesn't not sexualize it. Right. And it doesn't make any reason to have it there. And it's just weird. It's just a really weird. And I just think about like what happens on that set you know like any more about some of that stuff and it's like i'm look i haven't heard anything like irresponsible coming out of this or anything like that obviously but i'm just saying it's like the the choice starts from the writing and then the direction it's like somebody anybody along the way because just said why are we doing this right well i'm sure that it was a closed set and it was probably just the director and right and even then it's like why are we doing this the child psychologist intimacy coordinator person and yeah i don't know but anyway overall the movie is not very good um i can't think of anything that i liked in it which was disappointing to me because i really thought that i would at least like ethan hawk but i think it's a really it's really odd choices that he makes and how he plays that character Mm -hmm. um and i think the covering up his face the way they do it kind of takes out like one of Ethan Hawke's strengths, which is like his, like kind of like every man's face in the way that he like can emote and sort of like express emotion. Right. Um, and after that, like, I just, I, I didn't think there was any tension in the movie. I didn't particularly enjoy, I didn't, was never scared. Um, never felt uncomfortable necessarily. I didn't really enjoy any of the performances. Um, I kind of felt bad for Jeremy Davies kind of, you know, having to do this like milk sop um i don't know it's just it, it's just not a good movie and it really is not a good adaptation of um and that i, I don't know if i ever I, I i guess i never gave you that book to read but that book short stories is pretty good and there's some decent stuff in there um because he has some really good ideas uh hill um but this is just not a good adaptation and kind of misses i think the majority of the point of what made the story like, and which good. book is this it's a short story compilation called 20th Century Ghosts. Okay. Okay. Um, the greatest thing that Hill's ever done is a novel called Heart Shaped Box, um, which is one of the best ghost stories I've read maybe ever. I mean, I, I really enjoy it. And it's hmm. really compelling, really well written. It's an interesting take on ghosts and ghosts in the modern age, particularly um and something that i wish would be adapted because i think that the right director could make it a really great movie yeah neil jordan was going to do it and it's stuck in development hell um as for i watched some of that series was, i was going to ask adaptation. you about that because i didn't realize that was him and t- i just recognized it when you talked about joe hill and i looked him up like the it's that shutter series right mm. or amc yeah, plus I, or something yeah yeah, yeah. Too, i think it was on amc um it's fine i never finished it just because it was one of those things where like i took a break for a couple of days thinking i'll come back to this because i was busy and then i never went back to it um the novel itself is really good Mm -hmm. um it also involves child endangerment and does it in a way that's very 
tense, um, very uncomfortable. I would recommend reading it. Um, one of the things that Hill and King have done in the past like decade plus is they've sort of interwoven their two universes around the loose idea of the shine and the fact that the shining exists um, in a way that's that's actually been really compelling and like great, I think. Mm -hmm. um and so part of what makes black phone good and i don't think it's ever explicit i don't remember but is the idea that these kids have this like aspect of the shine um where they can like see things and hill does such a good job of writing that sort of like psychic like reverie type thing you know that um king writes about in in the shining and that i think that kubrick and um Flanagan capture really well in uh, the original Shining adaptation and um, Doctor Sleep. So, yeah, it's funny. I never, I, I didn't understand that was Nosferatu until tonight when I would see it on Shutter that TV series. So I thought it was like almost like a sci-fi horror. So I like ignored it and didn't pay any attention to it. Um, but after reading the description, I'll probably actually watch that show now because what the hell, like, um. But yeah, I've been ignoring it for a long time because I thought it was something like NOS 4A2. <laughs> um, and I thought it was sci-fi. Well, it's it's because it's the license plate. I understand. I see the yeah. cover of the book now and it makes perfect sense to me. But yeah. Um, yeah. It's actually a really terrible title that almost stopped me from reading the book. But I was really into Joe Hill at that point. He also wrote Lock and Key. Um Yes, which was an incredible comic series, and I heard was terrible not a great... television show. Yeah, terrible. Um, I I got through the first season because I was like really hyping up the brandy. Um, before it came on, I was like, you know, like I I love this comic series and Chuck Lorenzo borrowed and all that kind of stuff, and like you know, I was really into it, and um, I'm really excited it's being ad adapted, and I I I watched and like I knew after like. I think one episode, maybe two, but it was like, oh, this isn't good. And I got through the first season and Brandy was like, yeah, it's okay. And I was like, it's... Uh, That's a real shame because... It's, that, it's um, like a CW version of, mm, of it. Of that kind comic, of. yeah. That's a shame. And we got two episodes into the second season and I can't watch. I stopped watching. I couldn't watch it anymore. Um, Have you watched any of the Sandman series yet or is she? No... Uh, we killed Netflix for the month. Um, so, and I forgot the Sandman was supposed to come on, but yeah. I will, as soon as it's back up again next month, um, I will be watching it. I have also um, canceled my subscription with Netflix mm -hmm. and will do so until uh, Mike Flanagan's next series comes out. Mm. Um, but I have a couple weeks left on it, so I'm going to try and finish... Uh, um, I'm going to try and watch Sandman since it's only like whatever, eight or nine episodes. Right. Um, just power through it. So I watched half of the first episode and I started to fall asleep and I just stopped it because I didn't want to like miss anything. Sure. I am not a fan of the way they represent anything in that universe. Oh, so really? Hmm. Um, I'm really. So Gaiman's big inspiration for the Sandman um was kind of like the culture of the time like he pulled from you know like the sandman in his initial inception is basically robert smith from the cure so he's right. this like 
lyrical, but kind of like wispy, you know, head in the clouds deity who has this huge amount of like power, but doesn't want to use any of it. Like he's very like wishy-washy. And it's actually a really interesting take on like, you know, what if the gods like are just like normal people just with like infinite power. Right. And that's kind of like Morpheus, um, the character of the Sandman. Um, so there's really interesting takes that Gaiman does. And it's very, Gaiman is an incredible comic book writer. One of the best, I think, ever. But it's very much like, it very much feels like the 1980s when you watch it or when you read it. Like you can feel, and it's the same thing that like you read the old Hellblazer, you know what I mean? Like Jamie Delano and the early Garth Ennis. Like you feel the influence of like pop culture from that time. I'm kind of bleeding into it and it gets like much more compelling as he weaves the narrative and kind of delves more into like the mythological aspect of like the endless, which is what dream uh, Morpheus is, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, this pantheon of like siblings who represent our deepest human emotions, like dream, death, desire, destruction, destiny, delirium, and um, despair, I guess that's the seven endless. Um, so there's a really number one there's a different visual aesthetic throughout the entire series because it was you know a multitude of artists sometimes in the same story arcs that worked on these books but for the most part like there's a real distinct look to the endless the way they look right i don't i don't like the way that netflix has done it so far and i don't like how cgi everything looks because it makes it feel cheap in some ways Mm. And maybe that gets better. Um, but I feel like there's a real like grittiness to the first like six or seven episodes or issues of Sandman. Um, that some of the characters and some of the concepts, the way the game and does them have a fairy tale feeling, but are very, very, very dark in terms of their concept. And I just feel like they may not capture it quite so well. So I don't know. I mean, I'll give it a chance and I'll watch this first season just right. because legitimately if you've never read the sandman um it's 70 some issues of probably top five comic book writing of all time in terms of like i mean gaiman is just like brilliant in terms of his inspiration and the way that he pulls from like different um different like mythos and ideas and concepts and you'll learn so much about like mythology and fantasy and world religion and um, fable and folklore just from reading the Sandman. Like it's definitely worth reading the entirety of it. So, which is why it's so scary to think like, what if this is like fucking shit, you know, (laughs) like this series, like it's, it's, I mean, Damon seems to like it from everything I've seen, like in terms of, I mean, I know people have to say things in interviews, but I mean, I don't know. Like he um he seems to dig it. Yeah, and his his adaptations have been pretty good for the most part. Um I never finished American Gods, but I liked what I saw. Um I thought that their well, take well, you never will finish it and neither will I. So Oh, is it they didn't renew it? Oh yeah, it got canceled. Oh, I had no idea. I don't pay attention to that shit. Yeah, the third season started out really bad. Um and we didn't finish it. 
like we we stopped watching and then we were going to come back to it and then um it got canceled and we were like oh well fuck it then um so we never went back to it but yeah Star well, i only i only ever watched the first half of that first season that was mm-hmm. it um i thought that good omens was well done yeah um it's good i and thought and that and it's interesting that they're doing a second season of that too really yep i didn't know that um Coraline is really good um i don't know if you ever watched it but um oh shit what was that called mirror mask maybe I never whatever, watched it. whatever that one the bbc series um that he did was was really good um so i have faith that, His, like, um that the bbc adaptation of neverwhere i thought was pretty good too. yeah neverwhere yep it was really good yeah. i thought um captured well it was just i i thought it was a good show um so i feel like he exercises creative control enough where he's not going to let something be terrible Mm-hmm. But I don't know how much I trust. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Yeah, sure. I do want to just bring this really quickly before we wrap up back around to the black phone again, real quick. Mm. Um. So, and this is something to think about for the future too. I think. Um. Uh, so the Saturn Awards um are released at the end of October here, and the nominees are already selected. So the nominees for horror film for the Saturn Awards, which tend towards in recent history things that are either critically popular or massively popular like commercially popular but so so the nominees are a quiet place part two with the black phone last night in soho the night house the most recent scream which i just found out is on paramount plus so i'll watch that tonight um and x um So I still have not watched Last Night in Soho. I it's on my list. I need to watch it. It's like on my um and I think I refuse to watch a co- Quiet Place too because I never watched a Quiet Place and um I think that I I think there's some weird part of me that refuses to watch a Quiet Place. So um so I don't know about that one. But um I've only seen X and the Black Phone and Last Night in Soho. But um to me the quality between the black phone and x and black phone and the night house is really distinct because you watch night house right yeah if i and, and it's okay i mean it's, it's a decent movie but it's not uh, great in any way like i more... think that x is the best movie on that list have um, you watched last night in soho yeah that, that is one i have not watched yet. okay um I thought Nighthouse was fine. Hmm. I thought that um I thought a quiet place too was fine, you know. Hmm. Um What were the what what were the other Scream ones? was the other one. I, I haven't seen that one either, yeah. so I have no opinion on that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, um, watch, I'll watch that tonight, and I'll watch Last Night in Soho soon. But I, I might watch Last Night in Soho tomorrow. To to me, X had the best like identity to it, and um was the most interesting concept. I thought. Yeah, I 
the night house was an interesting concept i just i don't know about the ex- I, I i like x's execution i think i like the way that x yeah, looks and feels sure. yeah. like x feels like a real like it, it it was good like i really enjoyed that and i'm looking forward to seeing um pearl or whatever that movie's the prequel is called yeah um wonder why the northmen wasn't on there then on that a was... horror? no it's a horror but uh, they they separate the categories now this is just pure horror this is just the horror category out of the saturn awards eh. it's not a horror movie. Eh, i guess not it's it's an action adventure movie or something like that um i mean it's a long form you know mythic fable i don't know anyway whatever yeah i was just wondering getting your quick take on there but it, it would actually be interesting i think at some point to go through the saturn awards um i need um, to look at 2021 and see if there's anything they missed because i feel like there was better movies uh i uh, i started the process of like trying to go through it it feels like um candy man they missed out on Oh yeah, hundred percent. I forgot that was two thousand twenty-one. Um, I love that movie. You like it more than I do. Um, Lamb, I missed out on. Mm. Yeah, there's some there's some idiot that probably thinks they missed out on Old, which is one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. Um, let's see, you like that Wrong Turn, right? Oh, that movie's great. I forgot that was 2021. Oh, that's on Showtime. I need to watch that before I get rid of Showtime. Yeah. Yeah, that's an incredibly... Um, um... I mean, look, I think I... Despite some some problems with it, I think I enjoyed VHS 94 better than I enjoyed um, Black Phone. Um, and... You know what you need to watch that was 2021? Look, it's not a good movie, but it's so fucking interesting and um innovative in the way that it's filmed. You need to watch that Deep House movie. Deep House. Why do I know that? Right. I told you about it. I watched it um early last year. Um oh they didn't have censor. Censor should have been on there above some of those other ones. I heard that Werewolves Within movie was really good too. I need to watch that. And T- Titani or whatever? Which I can't watch because apparently it's like really uncomfortable. But it, I I I have heard that that it's really uncomfortable. Um. God damn. Okay, I don't have my iPad in here. Okay, so the remind me of this when we're done with the podcast. Right? So Deep House and mm-hmm. Scream is on Paramount Plus. Deep House is on Paramount Plus. Um. Is there something else I need to watch? Oh, I was going to watch the TV series on Shutter. I want to watch the Werewolves Within movie. Oh, I, Last Night in Soho. What is it? Werewolves Within. It's um, it's free on Prime, I think, right now. Maybe. Wow, um, it's about it's it's about this guy who's a sheriff in a small town, and him and these people get trapped in like a bar during like a snowstorm, and it turns out that there's werewolves in the town, and the like, the werewolves are like killing the normal people or something. I don't know. That was on Shutter at one point. Maybe it still is on Shutter. It might be. Yeah. Um, it's a hard comedy, so I didn't watch it. But I'm surprised they didn't put Halloween Kills on there, even though I hate that fucking movie. You know what else? That Resident Evil reboot, Welcome to Raccoon City. Yeah. Fucking a fantastic Resident Evil um adaptation. Hmm. 
like I would not say it's a good movie, but for as silly as like Resident Evil is, um, in terms of like oh, like got to get the fucking ruby gem to put in the eagle's eye to get the magnum like that kind of shit like it really like does that in a way that's not tongue in cheek nah yeah man it can the zombies the zombies are fantastic well that's fine i mean (laughs) it takes it seriously enough and it really kind of follows like those characters in a way that makes sense like i'm telling you like Whatever. Not, there, there's no way you can make getting the fucking hexagonal crank to get across the bridge it's, so it's, you can get the blue just blue gem so you can put it in the fucking tiger's eye and push it against like the fucking right. You um, got you, you, you got the, the, the right tie the the right tile so yeah. you get the shotgun. There's yeah. no way that that you got you, can be you, good. You gotta get the medallions to get that magnum, motherfucker. <laughs> Look, I don't know how you store the things in your home. But I gotta go find a fucking gem every time I want to get a sandwich. So to open the refrigerator. Oh, I, of course, I do, not, I do not store anything like that. <laughs> I am, I am the master of unlocking. So. so, is the resort any good, Frank? Are you watched it? Um, nah, not really. Okay. I felt like it took way too long to get started, and I hated every character, so it made okay. it really difficult to watch. Yeah. It, it, it absolutely is the epitome of loathsome male loathsome characters did you watch the friday the 13th remake with fucking padalecki or whatever yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah it's 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 like that it's terrible you know? oh it's yeah. awful um loathsome yeah oh wrong turn right that's the other one fuck all oh, right yeah you knew I'm what hold on hi talk about something real quick while i write all this down um wrong turn does everything number one wrong turn has one of the greatest endings in a horror movie in decades like without exaggeration fucking phenomenal the end of that movie but it does so much to like completely reinvent the idea of the um murderous yokel thing or whatever Mm -hmm. in the way that it presents it um i i thought that movie was fucking brilliant and amazed that they could take a franchise that i just don't even care about and make it completely relevant and make me hope that there's other movies that come out set in that same universe so yeah i'll watch it this week then an amazing reinvention of a franchise it's my rob zombie needs to go watch the wrong turn reboot and say like this is why i suck God, I'll be glad when next week's over when we can just stop because it's like there's so many things I do like about Rob Zombie, but there's so many bad things about Rob Zombie in his filmmaking that it's like I'll be glad to not talk about Rob Zombie because I feel like I like we've been talking about him. And I've been thinking about him. He's like he's got whatever he's running space in my head like for like yeah. a month now. Um, and the thing is, is like I love the oral collage of white zombie like i think that i think that what rob zombie creates in those two white zombie albums and the first couple rob zombie albums is like the most brilliant encapsulation and homage of like 60s 70s and 80s genre horror um ever like you listen to those four albums and it's just the most 
amazing love letter to like genre films honestly yeah to the point where there's movies that i love because i recognize the samples from a from a white zombie song and to have that dude i don't know whatever it's fine uh listen to us this coming friday on the primary podcast where we talk about frank's uh top five most disappointing movies of all time where you will hear about rob zombie some more so um, spoiler alert (laughs) thank you for listening everybody you ain't gonna spin the wheel what the fuck oh fuck you should have told me to do that earlier jesus frank we were talking man i don't run this podcast this has been like a fucking two-hour podcast like I, I I completely forgot about. It's been an hour and a half. Not even. Just spin the wheel. Tell me what to do. Well, I, apparently I got to because you can't remember to do it on your own. Hope you get something awful here. There's no other option. <laughs> Comedy featuring a dog is the main character. That's amazing. <laughs> A comedy featuring a dog as the main character. Let me delete that off the list. Um, I'll make up for this by uh, making sure that it's advertised for next week that you will be watching a movie with the dog playing the main character. So, all right. So, yeah. God, you got, and you still got anthropomorphic animal hijinks coming up. So excited. That's, that is the genesis of the spin chagrin. That one right there. Mm -hmm. That was what I was thinking about. Yeah. There was like a, what, uh, one in 11 chance that it doesn't happen at this point. Mm. Actually, no, that's not true. Minus two. There is a one in twenty chance that it does not happen. Mm. No, that's never tell me the odds, right? <laughs> Unless I delete a couple of things off here. But um, all right, thanks for listening, everybody. Next week, Frank will have watched a movie with a dog as the main comedy movie. Sorry, comedy movie was the specific title. Comedy movie with a dog as the main character. Is there a serious movie with a dog as the main character? I a boy and his dog. Right, uh, but you've already seen it. But um, yeah. but uh, but no, I I wanted to clarify just because like you, if if it wasn't, you might try to find a serious movie with the dog as the main character. You tried to talk about Prey or something like that. So, is there a dog in Prey? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he's not really a main character. He's kind of supporting. Oh, that dog's getting all kinds of viral attention because um, it was like some sort of rescue that was just supposed to be in the movie for like 30 to 60 seconds at most and the test audiences this shows you how bankrupt hollywood is um the test audiences reacted so well to the dog in those 30 to 60 seconds that they increased the dog's role um in it and um the dog though to the dog's credit had no like he he was just trained a little bit like it wasn't like a hollywood dog it was just like a random rescue dog that got some training so um but yeah watching i would have thought it was like a fully trained hollywood like you know acting dog but um it was not it was just a rescue that had some training so 
This cool. is things I know from my fucked up feed. It's like, you know, it's all filled with with stuff about acting dogs and um, you know, the end of the democracy. So well, in all fairness, I already um watched praise, so I can't watch that anyway. So true. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good week. Deuces.